Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. Man, as we're singing that, just again picturing it, when Jesus died, the Son of God died, right, as a human being. He's hanging on that cross. And I can't help but think as, as the angelic beings are watching and Jesus dies, that there was this like, hush. How can this happen? He's, a, he's God, how could this happen, right? And he's, he's in the grave and they shut the tomb and sealed the tomb. But then among the angels, all of a sudden, there was a whispering began. Because what they found out is that Jesus is in paradise and he is explaining to the people there, the Bible tells that, he went and preached to them, told them, here's what's happened, here's what's going on, here's the fulfillment of all the things you've looked for, here's where it's going. And then on the third day, life comes back into his body and the stone is rolled away and he steps out alive. Now, yeah, right, okay, so, and it, the song said, the angels roar. Have you ever been outside a stadium, not in the stadium, but in, outside the stadium, and all of a sudden you hear this, whoa, right? Because something, that's, that's the sound of what was going on in heaven, the angels, right? It's God is fulfilling all of these things. And then we sang the idea of when he returns for us and we see him and he says, my eyes transfixed on Jesus' face. I, I tell you, I, in fact, I was debating whether I wanted to talk about this after I got up here because I have a hard time emotionally keeping it together when I think of that day when all of a sudden, finally, here's Jesus. And I'm before him, the one who died for me, the one who loved me enough to do that and pay the penalty for my sins, the one who, who was so patient with me, you know, and, and dealt with all my stuff for so, uh, and kept working and didn't get... It's going to be overwhelming, isn't it? I mean, do, do you feel like you understand right now that God loves us, Jesus loves us, right? Don't we? We understand that. But I'm telling you, I think what we understand is a mere shadow of the reality. And that day, we will begin to understand it, begin to experience it. In the meantime, in the meantime, this one who has done this for us and where our destiny is with has left us with the mission. The mission. The great commission as we, we talk about it. The mission right here, we have an abbreviated form of it where Jesus says, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them, teaching them to observe all the commands I have given you. Go and do this. This is the mission. Now we're looking at this from the book of Acts, looking at the three missionary journeys of Paul. He took three very specific missionary journeys. And the last couple of weeks we have looked at the first journey, which provided us with a framework for missions. How does this Christian missions work? And what we saw is there's really two big parts of this. First is that they go and they engage. They go with the gospel, the Holy Spirit, puts it in their heart, sends them out. The church cooperates with God and sends them out. And they go and they engage with the world with the gospel, making disciples. And then at some point, they return and report. They come back 
to the church that they had left and came back and on the way back, they're strengthening the churches that they had started and then they come back and report and then spend time with the church that they were sent out of. And so that's just kind of a big picture framework for how Christian missions is supposed to work, okay? So today we wanna look at, start looking at the second journey. And what we're gonna see in the second journey is, is really an emphasis on the spiritual nature of the mission. Uh, these three ideas, going all in with the supernatural life, the power of the gospel, and then learning to live on the front lines with the Great Commission. And so today what we're going to focus in on is this idea of going all in. Going all in. And we are looking at missionary journeys and thinking about missionaries carrying out this commission here. Now we've talked about it, and so I know that you know the answer. Is that commission for missionaries? This is not a trick question, honest. Is that commission for missionaries? Yes, it is. Is it only for missionaries? No, it's for every believer. Everyone who becomes a disciple, a follower of Christ, who, who opens up their heart and receives Christ as Savior, this commission is given to all of us. It's given to all of us individually as Christians. It's given to us together as the church. And I'm telling you that it is a call to go all in with the Lord. That you say, okay, from now on, when you become a follower of Christ, here's the reality, and we don't always know it, and we don't always understand what it means, and sometimes we got our, our obstacles that get in the way of all, but what, when we become a follower of Christ, we don't belong to ourselves anymore. True? We've been bought with a price, the blood of Jesus, right? And so we are uh, no longer our own, and our entire lives from, begin, from that point on, from the beginning there to the very end, and every aspect of our lives is about that. The Great Commission. So wait a minute, how can that be? I got a lot of other stuff I gotta do. <laughs> Anybody here got a lot of stuff you feel like you gotta do? Yeah, so how can that be what everything's about? Well, it is, because here's the thing. Part of this commission is, we talk about making disciples and, and teaching them, well, I'm a disciple. I'm a follower of Christ. Back in April 4th, 1975, I received Christ as Savior. I became a follower of Christ. And I've, I've grown and learned a lot. But every day, all along the way, I need to try to become a better disciple, don't I? One who's learning what the Lord has commanded, learning to understand what it means in my life. And, and so it's about, you know, if, and I, I know this is my job here, okay? But let's just talk job more generic. So when I get up in the morning and I say, I need to get ready for work. Well, how does a follower of Christ get ready for work? I'm going to leave that to your imagination. How does a, a follower of Christ drive on the streets on the way to work? Some of us probably need to work on that, right? <laughs> how does a follower of Christ interact at work? How does he interact with his employer? Or if he is the employer... And the other, how would, a, how would a, a follower of Christ do this job? You see what I'm saying? And so we're living this out. And we are becoming open, openly Christian. We are deciding, how would a, would a follower of Christ be open about his faith? Wouldn't keep it hidden anyway, would you, right? So you're going to live it out, it's going to come. And so you're living that there. How would a follower of Christ be a... a what kind of a, a husband or a father would a follower of Christ want to be? What kind of mother or, or wife would a 
a follower of Christ want to be? What kind of a citizen and a neighbor would a follower of Christ, you know, how should we be? But you see how it changes everything? And our, there's no more compartmentalization for you as a Christian. When you see, receive Christ as Savior, it's no longer, okay, I have my family, I have my work, I have my house, I have my hobbies, and I have my church, my, Christ, my spiritual, religious stuff. It's no longer that way. You become a follower of Christ, it is all about your relationship with him. And it's about you becoming a better disciple, and part of that is helping other people to become followers of Christ or disciples. That means there's a point in time you're going to have to witness and try to reach some people who aren't, who don't know the Lord. Now, that may be that, that you're going to say, well, you know what? Nobody's ever told me that I shouldn't sing. Right? <laughs> Nobody's ever told me that. So I, I'm going to sign up for the Christmas choir because I want to use that because I want to invite so-and-so to say, hey, I'm singing in a choir. Can you believe it? <laughs> Why don't you come? And they just might. But you know what I mean? You're making these kinds of decisions. And then you're also helping your brothers and sisters in Christ to, to live their lives the way God intends. And part of the way God intends is that they too be involved in helping other people become followers of Christ. But you see how when we become a follower of Christ, it's no longer compartmentalized and settled someplace. It's about going all in. That's what he's called us for. What he's called us to. Going all in with him without hesitation, without reservations. Now, I talk about the hugeness of this calling and, and how it permeates everything. And, and let me say to you that none of us ever get it perfect. Well, none of us ever get that perfectly. But we gotta say that's our intent, don't we? And God, that's what I want, I'm straining to us. And then we're gonna work and we're gonna grow and we're gonna make some mistakes and then we're gonna get better. But the idea is more and more and more, we are all in with the Lord. We're not holding back anymore. Now, good news is that when you make that decision, you become conscious of that and say, this is how I'm going to live, you are in a position to experience what God made you for. You know, wow, this is what God made me for, whatever the specifics of that is in your life. You put yourself in a position. When you're doing your own thing, you're not in that position. When you start saying, no, God, you are my all in all, then you can experience that. The more difficult news is that you aren't capable of doing this. Did you guys hear that? This is what I just described. You are not capable of doing this in your own strength, in your own wisdom, with your own plans, in your own th You aren't. You desperately need God to do the things that only God can do. And you need him to do it when you know about it, and you need him to do it when you don't know about it. But what you want to do is become aware that I need God to work in my life. If I'm going to be what he wants me to be and do what he wants me to do, I, am, I need him to work. And so we're taught, this is why we're talking about in this second journey here, the spiritual nature of this mission. Because it isn't just, anybody besides me ever feel like when Something, things just aren't going right and things are, that I just need to work a little harder. Uh, there's a few of you out there like me, right? A few? Are you afraid to raise your hand? I'm actually asking. And if you feel that way, okay. Well, all right, more of you than I might have thought. 
This is not a good thing. It's a good thing to be willing to, to exert effort and to go and do. But we have to understand, it's not our own strength. It's not our own wisdom. It's not our own ways. It's not our own natural reactions and responses. It's, it's being able to step back and say, wait a minute, no, this is, I need you, God. I need you to work. And so this is the spiritual nature of this. And so what we want to do is look at the first part of Paul's second missionary journey today with an eye to this. And when we talk about spiritual things, we're talking about supernatural, aren't we? Now, supernatural, I don't know why that brings to your mind all sorts of weird things, but by supernatural, all we're talking about is we have the word natural, and that's what comes to us, what? Naturally. That's my wisdom. That's my strength. That's my talents, right? My experiences. And then we say super. Super means over and above that. Okay, so I can bring all of those things to bear, and I should, but I need something going on over and above this to succeed at it. And so we want to look at the supernatural nature here of what's going on as they carry out this mission. So turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 16. And if you don't have a Bible with you, I encourage you to pick one up under the chairs there and follow along. We'll start on page 1275, although it might be 1274, I'm not sure, because I'm going to start a little bit earlier, back in chapter 15. Chapter 15 and verse 36. So you remember they had come back to Antioch, they'd stayed there, there's actually been some other things that have happened in this story after the first journey, but now it says this. Then after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us know, now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. So he said, let's go back to where we went before and make sure that they're doing okay and we'll help them out, teach them, whatever. Now, from a human perspective, was that a good idea? Now that feels like a trick question. Yeah, but here's the deal. What had happened in those cities? They had been threatened with death in those cities, hadn't they? They had been ill-treated in those cities. Those cities were not happy with them. They did not want them there. One place, Paul had been stoned and left for dead. You remember? Let's go back. I tell you what, you don't make that decision unless you're all in. Right? You, may, you don't make that decision unless you're like Paul. You know, hey, whether I live or die, as long as I magnify the Lord... That's what matters to me. And so we see they were all in. All right, so let's move on down here to chapter 16. Let's start in verse 6. It says, now when they had gone through Phrygia, and before we do this, just let me say, what we're going to look at is this, that God provides in our lives supernatural direction. Supernatural direction. So let's look here. Now, when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. After they had come to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. So passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Now, after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. All right. So supernatural direction. 
it's, it's, I, think, I, I love that the Holy Spirit included this story in the Word because we have Paul saying, okay, let's go here. But it wasn't the right choice. You ever made a wrong choice in, with good intentions? Yes, it says the Holy Spirit stopped him. Now, we don't know how he did that. We don't know if the Holy Spirit spoke audibly to him or, or if they got just such a, uh, this powerful sense of unease. We, I don't think we're supposed to do this or, or something. Or maybe there was some official thing that stopped them from going. We don't know. But they were trying to go and the Holy Spirit said, no. So they said, okay, well, let's go this way. And it says the Holy Spirit again said, what? No. Well, where are we supposed to go? And they just kind of kept going. And then God reveals to them where he wants them to go. Okay. We need supernatural direction in our lives. And don't, I'm not asking for a show of hands, but do you have any decisions that you need to make today or in the very near future that really matter? You need supernatural direction, don't you? Well, one of the questions that often comes up is, well, how do I know if God is leading me to do something? How would I, how would I know? Right? How do I know if this is just an idea in my head? <laughs> Which I get lots of ideas in my head, and they aren't all from God, that's for sure. How do I know if what I'm hearing is from God or not? Well, here's a way that you can function in this area. And the first thing is this, and we already talked about it, but you've got to go all in. If you want God's ongoing direction in your life, you've got to surrender to him. You've got to say, God, I want what you want. I want to go where you want. I want to talk to the person that you want me to talk to. I want to keep my mouth shut when you want me to keep my mouth shut. Right? I want to take the job that you want. I want to do that. I am yielded to you. I will go anywhere. I will do anything. And I, I still this day very, you know, some people have very vivid memories about everything. <laughs> I have a few very vivid memories, but this is one of them. It was when I, caught, I was in the University of Missouri, Kansas City. I was living at home with my parents. We lived on a lake. I'm looking out over the lake. It is just dawn. It's just becoming light. And whatever God was doing in my life, I said to him, okay, Father, wherever you want me to go, whenever, however, whatever it means. And I made that surrender. I haven't always lived it, but I meant it. And God has worked on me and kept pulling me back to that and taking me forward with it. But you got to be surrendered. Otherwise, you're wanting to do your own thing, right? Well, God, tell me what you want me to do, and I'll compare it to what I want to do. And I'll decide. No, no, no. God, what do you want me to do? And so that's where you go. Then you go to the Word, the Word of God. What does the Word have to say about this? And, and, and this isn't just when you need direction, this should be an ongoing thing, but you're in the Word and, and learning what the Word says. And, and you pray, you talk to God about what you're reading in the Word and, and things start to, start to seem like they're becoming a little clearer. And the bigger the decision is, then the more you need to do what the Word says and go get godly counsel. Talk to other people, what they're seeing about this. All right? Now, here's the reality. At that point, sometimes things seem pretty clear, but not always. And you have to make a decision. What do you do then? You make the very best decision you know how to make. And God will work. He's probably worked getting you there. Apostle Paul, godly man. 
You think Apostle Paul tried to follow the Spirit's leading? In fact, he tells us he did here. He made the best call he knew. And what happened? God stopped him. Because it wasn't what God wanted him to do. But you see the idea is that I put myself in place where I'm surrendered to the Lord. I'm, I'm learning to see the world and my life the way God says in his word. And I'm, I'm talking with him about it and asking for his direction. And, and when I can and when I, it makes good sense, I get outside counsel. And then I make the best decision I know how to make. And then what I have to do is trust what God has promised me. What has he promised me? Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. He says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he might tell you what to do. No, he what? He will direct your path. Okay? So I got to believe that. I'm not going to trust in my, all right, I'm going all in with the Lord. I want what he wants. I'm not trusting my own understanding here or depending on that. I'm asking him to lead me. And I'm doing my best in all of these things to acknowledge him, to acknowledge what he says in his word, to acknowledge how he works in my life and what he's done. I'm trying to live my life that way. And then I make the very best decision I know how. And it says, he will what? He will direct me. Can he stop me if he wants to? Can he make it clear? Stop? Yeah, he can shut the doors. But here's the thing. Sometimes I might still not make the best decision and God will say, we can work with that. All right? In fact, Walt, we're going to take advantage of this. You made this decision, and one of the reasons you made this decision is because you still have this going on in your life that really needs to go. And so we're going to go with that. And so he lets me go over here, right? Until <laughs> I run into that problem in my life, that thing that isn't right in my life, the thing that needs to be adjusted and to match his work. And oh, when God works within my life, and I, you know, I finally I deal with it at least a lot. And he says, okay, good. Now we're going that way. You know? And he, do you understand what I'm saying? The point is, is I can't get it wrong. He will direct my path. If you're surrendered, if you're looking to him and his word and in fellowship with him and praying and get godly counsel, you can make the best decision you know how. You can't get it wrong. Isn't that a good promise? Now, don't think, you know, I can do this without the going all in part. Not going to work. All right. So God will direct us. And we need his supernatural direction. Verse 11. So they take this direction that the Lord has given them to go to Macedonia. Therefore, sailing from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace. And the next day came to Neapolis and from there to Philippi which is the foremost city of, the part of that part of Macedonia, the colony. And we were staying in that city for some days. Now, where should they go and who should they talk to? Well, what has been their practice? Do you remember? Where'd they go first, usually? Synagogue. There was no synagogue in Philippi. There was Jewish presence, but there was no synagogue in Philippi. So what the, the Jewish people would do is when there was no synagogue, there would be some place around town where there was a river or a spring or someplace, and the Jews knew that that's where you would find the other Jews. Verse 13, and on the Sabbath day, we went out of the city to the riverside where prayer was customarily made, and we sat down and spoke to the woman who met there. So God is directing them, isn't he? 
Now a certain woman named Lydia heard it. She was a seller of purple. That means seller of, uh, of dyed cloths and possibly the purple dye itself. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshiped God. She probably was not born Jewish, but she was probably a Gentile who had come to believe that Judaism was true and that the God of the Jews was the true God, okay? Then it says this, the Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. We're talking about making disciples. We're talking about talking with people who don't know the Lord, whose lives haven't been changed on the inside, right? Have you ever tried to change somebody's mind? And occasionally it works, doesn't it? Occasionally. It depends who it is. I know some of you husbands and wives are looking at each other like, yeah, no, that never works. <laughs> it's hard enough to change someone's mind. How about changing someone's heart? It's hard to change someone's heart, isn't it? And so for someone to come to Christ and know him, the Lord has to work. And so we need a supernatural stirring of hearts. And as I walk through life today and you walk through life today, we need to be saying, God, stir the hearts of the people I'm going to come to talk to, that they might be open. See, we're looking for a supernatural work of God, the Spirit of God. And by the way, nobody ever comes to God without him opening their hearts. But here's the thing. He has done what needs to be done for anybody's heart to be open. The Bible tells us that he has revealed himself in creation. He has revealed himself in how we are even made up and how we, we think as human beings. He has revealed himself in the resurrection. And, 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 and I mean, on and on, he has revealed himself. So that everybody's heart has been stirred. Okay? And everybody has to make a decision whether they open to God about that. But if God didn't do any of that, we'd never want anything from him because we're that sinful. Okay. But so God works. Another thing that is there is the gospel. Romans 1.16. The gospel is, say it with me, the power, if you know it, say it, the power of God unto salvation. The gospel itself stirs hearts. And so when we share that, God uses the gospel to stir the hearts. And so we need to have a much more spiritual perspective on this whole idea of trying to reach people for Christ. Because, you know, my tendency sometimes, and I, I do much better these days than I used to, but my tendency used to be thinking, is, okay, what's the right thing for me to say now? You know, what's the right answer to that question? What's the, and it's all about information. God uses information, but they need their hearts stirred, don't they? They need an open heart. And so we need to be mindless. And we can cooperate with God in this. We can pray. That's, a, that's connecting spiritually, isn't it? Spiritually, we want to see that heart open. We can pray. We can share the gospel. Um, and then just be very conscious of it as we're talking with people. Opening of hearts. Now, let me share with you that, that God, there's more to this process than just trying to convince people to become Christians. Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 9, he says, pray to God that he would send laborers into this harvest. Other, other disciples, and mission, pray to ask us. So that's part of the process too. And so yeah, go ahead and put that slide back up if you would, Stephen. Last week, 
We prayed for our missionaries in Peru. November 1st. When was that? Was that Friday? Youth Missions Emphasis Day, we will host 500 plus at the seminary and challenge them to surrender for full-time ministry. And we prayed for that last week, didn't we? Remember, those of you who are here, we prayed for him in this. Well, let me show you something. Here's what he wrote. Here's what happened. We had 500 plus youth present, like they had said. He says, all clamoring to God with one voice begging him to send more laborers. When he sends, he calls, guides, protects, provides, empowers, and rewards. 30 plus public decisions, some to join us in the harvest. So there were people whose hearts were stirred and open to following God, to be missionaries. And we had part of that, didn't we? We have a part of that. We together went before God last week and asked him to do a work, see? But so God stirs hearts, and he just might stir yours if you're open to go and do something that you're not doing now in some way that he wants you to serve him. All right, so the next verse, 15. And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us, saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay so she persuaded us. She was a businesswoman, and apparently she had room for them to stay and the ability to take care of them. Supernatural provision. God is providing for them. And by the way, this is what Dave Lyle said, when God calls, he will what? If he has something for you to do, he will provide. May not be provided for what you want or for what I want. You know, I mean, I, I would enjoy today having on my wall TV screen that's big enough that the football players look lifelike. <laughs> well, maybe God will provide this, maybe not. But the point is, I can't say, oh God, you need to provide that for me. But oh God, I have this burden you've put on my heart and I don't have the means to accomplish what you're putting on my heart. God, would you provide? And he will. Paul and these guys, they needed a place to stay while they were there. They, you know, they needed this. And God provided. So how did that happen? Well, way back in, in chapter 15, verse 36, they did what? They went all in. They, doing their best to follow God's lead, they're asking for supernatural direction. They do that, they talk. God supernaturally opens someone's heart. And one of the results of that is that now their needs are met. So if any of these chain, links in the chain had broken, they wouldn't have had their needs met, right? Okay. So we need God's supernatural working. Now, as always, we see what's going to happen next. Supernatural opposition. Supernatural opposition. I put an asterisk next to that because this isn't coming from God. God has allowed it. Verse 16. Now, it happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with the spirit of divination met us who brought her masters much profit by fortune telling. Okay, so she was... Uh, indwelt by a demon who impersonated, uh, well, I don't know if impersonated, but the idea of that was able to say things and do things that people thought was fortune telling. Okay, and so there she had people who, her owners, who were making lots of money off that. 
Verse 17, this girl followed Paul and us and cried out saying, these men are the servants of the most high God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. Well, that sounds like a good thing, doesn't it? Well, hang on there. And this she did for many days. The Paul greatly annoyed. I, I like that that word is there. Do you ever get annoyed? Now, most of the time we're getting annoyed, we probably shouldn't be. <laughs> but we, we get the feeling. And this she did for many days, but Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. Now, why? What's the big deal? It did seem like this was a good thing. These men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. Well, think of it this way. I want you to think of the worst, and this is a nice word, the worst scoundrel you know. And everybody knows they're a bad person. Everybody, everybody you know knows they're a bad person. And then all of a sudden they start in public, every time in public, buddy up to you and act like you're good friends. You know? Well, you ought to listen to what he has to say. You ought to listen to what she, I mean, you, that's not a good thing probably, is it? At first you'd go, well, okay, whatever. But after a while, they just keep doing it, keep doing it. Who wants to talk to you about Christ then? No, because it's what? It's you and that guy. And so that's what was happening here. They were being connected with the fortune teller. No, 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 no. So this has to stop. And so he stopped it. So there's, this is opposition that is, is deception. The enemy is trying to deceive people. And then verse 19, but when her master saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities and they brought them to the magistrates and said, these men, being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city and they teach customs which are not lawful for us being Romans to receive or observe. Then the multitude rose up together against them and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. By the way, that is a terrible, terrible, torturous punishment. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. All right. Time is moving by fast. So just let me say this spiritual opposition, you can expect it. If you actually go all in with the Lord, I mean, you may not be experiencing it now, but if you actually go all in with the Lord, right, and you're walking with him and he's using you, then people's hearts are getting open, people are coming to Christ, they're growing, and you're being effective, guess what? You will experience opposition. How do we know? Jesus said you would. Hey, they hated me, they're gonna hate you. Don't be surprised. And so this opposition came against them. But don't let that opposition uh, surprise you. Don't be discouraged by it, and maybe most importantly, don't be deterred by it. You keep going. You might have to change directions, but keep going, okay? All right, so let's continue reading here. This supernatural opposition has come. Now God is going to provide supernatural deliverance. Verse 25. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. 
Suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's chains were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awaking from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. Well, why would he do that? Well, it's because that's what the authorities would have done to him because he lost the soldiers, or he lost the prisoners. They would put him to death and they might have tortured him along the way. So he says, I'm just going to end my own life here. But Paul called with a loud voice saying, do yourself no harm for we are all here. Then he called for a light, ran in and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? How do you know to answer that question? Well, because of what he's heard from them while they were in prison. Between their conversations and their singing, he knew what question to ask. Verse 31. So they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes. And immediately he and all his family were baptized. Now when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them. And he rejoiced, having believed in God with all his household. Okay? Supernatural deliverance. Now, we, we see this here, right? The earthquake and, and the jailer and what happens for them. But didn't God get this a little late? They had already, what, been beaten with canes and thrown into prison in the first place. Why didn't God deliver them from that? And we feel that way in our lives, right? Something happened. Why didn't God deliver us from that? Well, here's the deal. God probably delivers us from things all the time we don't even know about because the enemy has designs for us so he may do that but often he will deliver us from things but here's important to understand is that there are times and places where his intention is to deliver us through things through things it's like this if you had a phobia of traveling through tunnels i do not want to go through a tunnel especially one where you can't see the other end right I don't want to go through a tunnel. Okay, there's this way to go and that way to go. But at some point, somebody might say, you know what? This is where we need to go, through the tunnel. We got to go through the tunnel to get where we need to go. And so you're being delivered from the tunnel what? by going, you got to go through this to get out on the other side. And this is what God does in our lives. Um, there was a man working in this jail who God knew, if he was, had the right input into his life, that he would receive Christ as Savior. And for that to happen, what had to happen? Paul and Silas had to be beaten and be in jail. Now, Paul and Silas had already made a decision early on that they were what? They went all in with the Lord. And so they're there and God uses them. So we don't know what was going on in the Philippian jailer's mind, what his life was like, what he was, maybe where he was hurting, where he maybe felt hopeless. And now these prisoners are here and then he hears something different from them and then they're singing praises to God and all this kind of stuff. And he's intrigued, he's pulled, right? And then the earthquake happens and he knows all the prisoners are gone. Now his hope is really gone. And then all of a sudden, wait a minute, we're here. And the jailers, what do I got to do, man? What do I have to do? And God used it. Now, let me just wrap this up. 
So he delivered them through this. They had to go through it but to, to get where God wanted them to do, to accomplish what God wanted to accomplish. But it wasn't just the jailer and his family who benefited. Because what we see happens is the next morning, the magistrates send and say, okay, let those guys go and tell them to leave the city. Something has happened to Paul. I mean, doesn't it seem like it'd be a good idea? Yeah, okay, let, let's go, we're going. He says, no, we're not going, we're staying in jail until you come and see us. Because we are Roman citizens and you beat us and threw us in jail unlawfully. And they came, now they're afraid because they could be in trouble because they had violated the rights of these Roman citizens. And, and Paul, they come and get them and they, they finally, they agree to leave and all that. Paul goes back to Lydia's house and confers with and, and confirms, excuse me, encourages the Christians and then goes on down the road. Supernatural courage. God gave Paul and Silas supernatural courage. Can you see that? And he did it by bringing them through this. I mean, they're in this, and all of a sudden something happens. They can sing praise to God. They're in this lousy situation. All of a sudden somebody comes to Christ and gets saved, his whole household. God is doing awesome things through this. And that changes you when you're part of that. And it, it, he instilled them with this courage that when they said, okay, you can leave, they say, mm -mm. not you guys come talk to us. We need to have a conversation. Why? Well, I can't help but think that this brought protection for quite some time to these Philippian Christians, right? Because if we aren't nice to these folks, the Roman authorities may hear what we've done. You see how God just keeps working all these things together? All right, as some action steps, two action steps. First one is this, cultivate the spiritual aspects of your life so you, uh, so you can, I don't know how I wrote that. Cultivate the spiritual aspects of your life as, or so you can carry out the Great Commission. There should be a word there, so you can. Um, since we need the supernatural working, we need the Spirit's working, and we need, we need to cultivate that. We cultivate that by being in the Word. Who, who gave us the Word? There is the sword of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, spiritual. These words are alive. When you get in the Word and read it and think about it and ponder it, spiritual stuff is going on. And then you talk to God about this and you talk to God about your life and it seems like it's just your words, but you know what? Spiritual stuff is going on. And when you take that step of faith to, to do something that seems like, a, and you trust God and, and it seems like you're just doing it, but no, 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 no. Spiritual things are going on. So we really need to cultivate this in our lives as we seek to live this way. And then the second thing is pray for the spiritual aspects of our missionaries' lives and ministries. Ask God to do that in their place. Remember, we saw last week they are in enemy territory big time, aren't they? So pray for the Spirit's working there. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you work supernatural in our lives in ways and times we aren't always conscious of, but you do work. And I pray, Father, because of that, we would lean into those things and that we would become more consciously aware of your working in your, our lives and leading in our lives. And as we take steps of faith and, and you work, that we would begin to recognize how those things work and become much more in tune with you and your spirit and what you're doing so that we might honor you in carrying out this commission that you've given us.
I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.